Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, founder of Megan Hall Motivation. I motivate and inspire women to create their own version of a thriving life. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories and chat about topics relevant to today's modern women. Don't forget to join our virtual community on Facebook, the Inspire Women Community. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here with you today. One of my favorite authors is on the podcast right now, and this is just going to be such a good conversation because I know women often struggle with making friends as adults, and Shasta is the friendship expert, and I'm so excited to have her on. So we have Shasta Nelson, M. M. Div. M. Yeah. Oh, okay. Masters of Divinity. Doesn't that sound fancy? That does sound <laughs> fancy. My husband's in the Navy, so M. Div means something different in the Navy. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> um, and she is the founder of GirlfriendCircles.com, a women's friendship learning community. Her spirited and soulful voice is for strong female relationships can be found in her books, Friendtimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness, and Friendships Just Don't Happen, The Guide to Creating a Meaningful Circle of Girlfriends. And I've read both of them, so I'm going to hook it up in the show notes. Everybody should grab these books. They will change your whole thought about friendships um, as adults. It really does. And it really points out like, where are we going wrong? Like, why could we make friends really easy when we were kids, but not so much when we're adults? And I love it. Um, She also writes at shastasfriendshipblog.com and in the Huffington Post. She speaks across the country and is a friendship expert in in the media, appearing on such shows as Katie Couric and The Today Show. So Shasta, I'm so happy that you made the time for us in the Inspired Women podcast, and we just do very com- casual conversations, so I'm just going to ask you, uh, you know, we have a couple questions that you provided, and then a couple other ones that I have, you know, I've read your books, and I'm just excited to have you here, so um, the first thing is, I want to know, like, how, tell our audience, how did you get into being a friendship expert? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, thank you for having me, Megan. And anytime there's inspired women gathering, that is a place I want to be. So it's Yay. an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, actually, so my background is on community building and actually creating community. It used to be like in a church setting, and um, then it broadened beyond that to kind of creating just small groups and stuff. So it's, I'm always about all healthy relationships matter to me. So it's not just friendship, but maybe, I don't know, eight eight, nine years ago, I kept feeling like everybody else just keeps talking about romantic relationships and parent-child relationships. And I kept kind of pulling my hair out being like, yes, I want those and those are healthy and those are fabulous. But actually, those aren't the ones that keep us healthy. Those actually show, <laughs> unfortunately, actually hurt our health. And, um, and, 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 and I kept saying the vast majority of the relationships we're going to have are friendships in our life. Like, hopefully, you only have, you know, one or two spouses over your lifetime. Hopefully, you, I mean, most of us aren't having 12 kids anymore. And so it really came down to like, why are we so obsessed on like two or three relationships? And we will go in and buy every book on that. I was hiring, like people were hiring me to coach them into finding romantic love or having a baby. And it was the amount of energy that was being focused on like just that one relationship that they were really wanting. And um, so it was really in that space that I kept asking other women, who's supporting you? Who's your tribe right now? What are they saying? How are you feeling encouraged? And I knew in that place, just the research that who we name as our 
friends or our support group or our tribe is going to dictate our success rates, honestly, on almost, on almost every single goal that people were hiring me as a life coach to do. So, and I kept hearing the same answer, like, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just moved and all my relationships are kind of like, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not really that close to them. I mean, I could call them, but I haven't. And, or, well, I just went through a divorce. My friendships are kind of up in the air. And I just kept hearing this like ongoing, like, well, yeah, I don't know. And it was in that space, Megan, that I was like, I mean, I care about all healthy relationships, but somebody has got to be sounding the horn for these friendships. And I just kind of started stepping into that space in answer to my question, like, why is nobody talking about this? <laughs> so there I went, I just went pursuing it. <laughs> I love that. Like, there are not very many friendship books out there. Like, oh, no. And at that time, yeah, I remember like, even now, like, <laughs> well, and, and, and to that point, Megan, and I went, um, my first book, when I started pitching it to publishers, publishers were like, yeah, well, women, you know, we, we did a book on women's friendship five years ago. And so yeah, we're not really interested in doing another one. And I was like, five years ago, like you do 100 books a year on how to lose five pounds, you know, like half that subject's been done, like you keep publishing books. And, and they were like, Yeah, women just don't buy books on friendship. They just kind of and I thought that is so true. You know, when you're pregnant, you go buy every book on how to be pregnant. And that's ironically, your body actually does know how to do that by itself. <laughs> and, and, um, and yeah, it's just kind of interesting that women we I think we I think we feel like we're supposed to just know it or that we already do know it. And we kind of think that we don't need help there or that we're the only one like there's a shame if we do so yeah there's a lot of stigma around it and we don't recognize the, the significance it has in our lives unfortunately I tell my clients all the time your husband can't be all of the things for you you have to have friends yes. And something's yeah. very powerful when women come together and collaborate and connect. And that's why I started the Inspired Women community is so women could come together and be supported and, and feel positive and feel like, wow, there's other women that are going through this too, you know? And, mm -hmm. and they said in the community the other day, there was a whole discussion about friendships and struggles with friendships. I'm like, just wait, Shasta's coming on the podcast. She's going to help us out, guys. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> So it is really important. It's only been in recent history that we really have become so focused on having all meaning and everything from one person in, a, in our lives, you know, putting so much emphasis on that marriage relationship. That is not how it's been throughout history. Um, we've been much more tribal, much more community, much more recognizing that our needs are met in different ways by different people. But yeah, we're getting to the place now where we are more networked than we have ever been and yet lonelier than we have ever been we know more people than we ever have in any time in history and yet we feel less known I mean it's just a really interesting space we're in right now where um, even if even if we have a marriage and not ever not all, not all of us do not all of us are in that relation but even if we many of us do and it is incredibly meaningful and we're in love we just recognize this can't do everything no it's too much so why would you say that friendship is important yeah, the well, we know from on a health perspective, Megan, that um, how we answer the question, how loved and supported do I feel in my life, is the number one predictor of how your health is going to be 20 years from now. There's been so many different studies. Um, one of them was done by college, on college students. And being able to how they answer that question, we were able to look 20 years down the road. And if they were able to say, I felt really loved and supported, then they were like, 
seven times, five times, it depends on which level they answered, five to seven times less likely to have died or have been struggled with some major life-threatening disease. Um, across the board, it actually scores higher than what we eat and whether we exercise. And you think about how much emphasis, I mean, we have entire magazines and entire industries to support exercise and diet and nutrition, and those aren't, those aren't not important. But when you actually look at what is important, whether we feel supported is actually more important to our health than those things that we spend so much time obsessing on. And um, I mean, I give entire keynotes at hospitals and different healthcare settings because the health research is just staggering. So you might have to stop me and cut me off here. I don't want to do more than like two or three minutes for oh, you. I won't, give you my, <laughs> I won't give you the whole hour keynote, but it's amazing. Um, one study was showing like women who have breast cancer and the chance of them surviving that diagnosis or not surviving that diagnosis. They studied, you know, does that how much money they have, whether they stop smoking, whether they, which treatment they chose, um, whether they have kids, whether they're married. And the only factor that just rose to the top significantly was whether they had a support circle of friends, more so than whether they were married, more so than whether they were a mother or not. Um, another study showed they, they tracked, uh, people in four different quadrants, those who were felt connected and those who felt disconnected and those who had healthy lifestyles uh, des described mostly by diet and exercise and sleep and those who did not have healthy lifestyle habits. And so those four quadrants they tracked and it won't surprise any of us that the people who were connected and had healthy lifestyle habits performed the best and, and were the healthiest, but it might surprise many of us to know that the second highest healthy group was those who had unhealthy lifestyle habits and reported feeling connected, uh, scored tremendously better than those who had healthy lifestyle habits and did not feel connected. And so, I mean, you just can go the, it's, I don't know, you can get me on my soapbox because it drives me <laughs> crazy. It drives me crazy that the media by and large will read this stuff and then just keep focusing on stomach crunches and kale smoothies and you're just like, oh my word, like this is not at the end of the day the thing that's going to change our lives. Feeling connected is a buffer. Um, I mean, we'll have one more study and then I'll let you ask your next question. No, you're good. I'm loving this. Like, this is amazing. Because <laughs> so, this one I think helps give a visual. So one study, they put women into MRI machines and, uh, and they had them like mildly electrocuted, that's <laughs> a strong word, but like shocked, <laughs> uh, intermittent shocks is how they described it. And, you know, God bless all these people who signed up for these studies. And they were taking pictures of the brain while they were having intermittent shocks on their body. And they were trying to reproduce mild stress and took pictures of the three red splotches in the brain where the cortisol was lighting up the brain. The cortisol is a stress chemical. So these people and the, these women in the MRI machines were kind of having a recreation of of just the little bit of stress you go through the day of never quite knowing where your next little shock is gonna come from. Then they did the exact same study, except this time the women are holding the hand of somebody that they love outside the MRI machine. And this time, they're still getting intermittently shocked. So having friends doesn't take away the stress. Our kids will still annoy us. Our finances are still stressful. We'll still fight with our spouses. Like having friends doesn't take away the stress. But this time, having the hand to hold, when they took pictures of the brain experiencing those intermittent shocks, instead of three big red splotches of cortisol, only about a third lit up in the brain. And so what we know is that when we feel supported, when we feel like somebody's there with us, our body actually, it's like a protective barrier. We don't, we don't absorb the damaging impact of stress in the same way. Like we actually, 
it actually protects us. I mean, it's just mind boggling to know that when you feel supported, you are not absorbing the deadly impact of stress in our lives in the same way as when you feel like you're going through it alone. So that's an, that's an, a visual of how much that damages our entire, every system in our body is damaged by stress. And when we uh, don't feel connected, it's exacerbated. And when we feel connected, we actually can protect our bodies from that and go through all those experiences with so much greater health and happiness. Would you say that friendships make people more resilient? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's often. And all, and all healthy relationships do. It's not just friendship. But our spouses and our kids also bring a lot more stress to the table. So we will have higher highs with them. I mean, there's nothing that can beat like romance and there's nothing that can beat uh, looking at that kid's face and being like, oh, I made that, you know, and like, oh. <laughs> I mean, there's those moments are hard to get with friends. But with um, you also with your friends aren't having to pack their lunches. You're not having to negotiate putting their shoes on. You're not having to make their doctor's appointments. You're not having to like scream over chores. You're, I mean, like there is so much stress that comes with those relationships that our friendships simply don't have. And so in that sense, all healthy relationships are good for our health. And our friendships can buffer us in a way that doesn't involve the same level of negotiation, stress, punishment, and all those other things. Yeah. Um, how I found out about you is you were part of the independent virtual summit that they did. And uh, oh, yeah. I'm a military spouse, so I listened to the summit. And one of the things I always tell my clients, which are predominantly military spouses, is you need a, a good community. And they use the word resiliency with community or with military spouses. But oftentimes I see the ones that don't have that resilience and are losing their crap, you know, when yes. their husbands are gone and deployed are the ones that don't have that community because then your spouse yeah. is gone. Now you don't even yeah. have that support and you're trying yeah. to do it all on your own. But having that community is so crucial. It's so huge. So why is it so hard for us to admit when we need it? Well, I think um, multiple reasons. I think I think some of us actually, I think the stigma of loneliness, I think none of us want to think of ourselves as a lonely person. I run into this a lot. Like we'll say, oh no, but I mean, I have friends and we'll start naming people that we know we could call if we needed to, or we will, um, there's a lot of shame around it. Like we picture this um, person who has no social skills, who nobody likes, like we picture this unlikable person and we create this really negative stereotype. So when somebody, like I know for me, when I've had experiences of feeling lonely, I immediately am like, oh no, I mean, I'm not that person. People like me. I have good social skills. Like I'm not, you know, we don't, we don't identify. We're not like quick to be like, ooh, ooh, yeah, me, me, I'm lonely. And so I think there's a, there's a big stigma and I run into this all the time that I'll kind of push on people and say, you're, you're feeling lonely. And they'll be like, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not. And they, we get very defensive around it. And I think, I think if that one piece alone, Megan, if we can't, if we can't admit that we need more connection, then we're really less likely to do anything about it. And um, emotional intelligence, a term we call EQ, is measured, and this is the area of life that will probably determine our success and happiness more than anything else in life. Um, unlike our IQ, which measures our, our mental intelligence, EQ measures our emotional intelligence. And the ability to do your high EQ score is based on two things. It's your ability to accurately identify your emotion when you're feeling it, and then the ability to do something to move that emotion back to a place of health and contentment. And so by that definition, if we're denying that we feel lonely, then we're not going to be likely to do something about it. And we somehow have gotten confused thinking that if we deny 
that feeling that we are somehow healthier. <laughs> and truth of the matter is we're less healthy. We have a lower EQ score because we're now not really in touch with our emotions and naming them and recognizing that desire for greater connection. Um, I treat loneliness the way um, I would treat hunger or thirst or sleep. To me, it's my body giving me information, so there's no shame anymore for me. To me, it's the same way when I yawn. I don't like beat myself up and say, that's ridiculous, I slept last month, what is wrong with me? You know, I, I'm very much like, oh yeah, it's 9.30, I should be getting ready for bed now. And I just understand that I need sleep all every day. It doesn't like surprise me, I don't feel shame, I don't beat myself up, I don't think I'm a weak person. You know, I mean, I just simply know I need sleep every day. And um, to me, when I feel that, that twinge of loneliness it's the same as yawning it's the same of having a parched throat it's the same of having my stomach growl and to me it's huh that's interesting I'm like craving more connection and then I know what to do to go in and actually start articulating what kind of connection is that why do I have that what what kind of what type of connection am I craving it doesn't mean I have no friends it means right now in this moment there's something that I need and I need to figure out who and how to get that need met in a healthy way so I think that's probably, I would say that's probably the biggest answer, Megan, is just that most of us don't even want to admit our need. Um, and then, I'm, of course, I've written all these books because obviously even then once we admit the need, many of us don't know what to do with that. But I think letting go of the shame is probably just the very first part of it, that most of us, um, I did a research project for my second book, Frentimacy, and I asked 1,200 women on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied and fulfilled are you with the level of intimacy in your life, the depth, the intimacy, the meaningfulness of the friendships in your life. And women were twice as likely to put a one or a two on a scale of one to 10 as they were to put a nine or 10. So we're twice as likely to say completely dissatisfied as we are to say satisfied. And about 75% of us, you know, are scoring a six or seven or below. So um, three, three out of four of us are recognizing there's a gap between what we have and what we wish to have. And so I say that just to remind us that we sometimes feel shame in our loneliness. We feel like we're alone in our loneliness. And the truth of the matter is, when you look out around the world, three out of every four people walking around in it is craving greater connection and something more meaningful than what they're experiencing. So it's you're not alone in it. What we need to do is have more and more of us inspired women stepping up and acknowledging that and saying, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to help give this gift knowing it's not only going to help my life, it's going to help me be a better mother, a better spouse. It's going to help with the friends I create. They're going to, their lives are going to be better. I mean, and this is where I'm like, I do believe that friendships can change the world. Absolutely. I have yeah. to agree with you. And in the Inspired Women community, we have... Uh, moms, military spouses, female entrepreneurs, because I mean, that's what I am. So that's what I attract into my mm -hmm. life. And oftentimes, I think it is that we don't realize that we are really lonely because we're going to work or we're going to networking events or we're having play dates or we're around people all the time. Yeah. So why yeah. are we lonely? Like we have friends and I put that in quotation, yeah. but we don't actually yeah. take the time to like go grab a drink or go grab dinner. And I actually started hosting local meetups in my area because of that fact that I do so many networking events, but I don't get to just hang out with women and have a good time and chat. So I wanted to create that space that I could do that and have an excuse to go out <laughs> and make new yeah. friends. And yeah. I think that's where we struggle is that we don't see that we're surrounded by people all the time, but we're not taking that time to actually have that connection. 
Totally. And I have women say to me, like, I, I'm not lonely because if I had to have the choice between a quiet night at home in a bathtub with a magazine and going out with friends, I would choose the night in the bathtub. So that just proves I'm not lonely, right? And I say, no, that just proves you're exhausted. <laughs> that just proves you're not, that just proves you still need self-care time too. Like, and those aren't, those don't, those aren't mutually exclusive things. But the, the profile of a lonely person today, a profile of a lonely woman today is a networked, busy, loving mom usually because we're giving to so many people we're around people we are like some of us have jobs where we are talking to people all day long so if we are exhausted by people that is not the same as saying like you can be exhausted by people have too many too much people in your life and still be lonely for greater connection and that's where that's to your point Megan where it's starting to learn and in my first book I talk about the five different types of friends because when we do that um do that exercise of recognizing those five different circles, then we start having information that says, oh, okay, so I'm getting plenty in that circle. Yeah. Like I have plenty of all the like work relationships. Like that's different than this circle where people really know me and I'm being vulnerable and I'm feeling seen and I'm feeling safe and I don't have to like be on and be performing. And so it really starts helping us be clear that it's not just, that's just because you can be busy and be networked doesn't make, make you not lonely. We still need to say there's something in me that I'm craving and I'm not feeling supported or seen or or um, valued in a way that's meaningful right now. What do you think is the biggest thing that holds women back from having quality friendships? Um, as adults, it's usually, this sounds so cliche, but it usually is lack of time um, because the, the, the less consistent we are, the less meaningful it is. And so if we just go do girls night once a month, we kind of come home and we're like, ah, was that worth, you know, having the kids screaming and the husband feeling like he was not like, you know, we kind of like have all these costs associated with it. And like, yeah, it was fun. I mean, we got drinks, we talked, but it wasn't like, wow, I have to do that again. Like if we, the, the, the more infrequent we are, the less meaningful it's going to be, the less really, then we're more doing updating. We're just doing chatting. I have found that the more consistent we are with people, and this bears out in research, if I talk to a girlfriend every single week on the phone, we are able to go much, much deeper. We're supporting each other's lives. We're sharing what's happened. We only have one week of things to catch up on as opposed to like two years or a month. You know, so we can go deeper. We can talk about things that aren't just updating, but that are big things and that matter and that kind of weave us off on different topics that feed our hearts. And so... Um, I think for us, most of us, um, we kind of go once in a while to something and then we go, yeah, it's okay. And it wasn't worth the payoff. But the more regular we are, the more, um, and we all know this in different areas of our lives. If you go to church once every three months, you're not going to feel as connected as if you go every week. You know, I mean, um, that's pretty much true in all areas of our lives, whether there's relationships and a sense of community, that the more you show up, the more you gain from it. And so if we don't, if we're not putting, if we're not valuing and prioritizing the time, um, then we're, we're going to do it less and less. We don't, we don't feel like we have the time to sitting around. We feel guilty, especially mothers. Um, and I always am talking to moms specifically about this one. Uh, we often think we're doing our kids a favor by doing uh, friendship when it's not inconveniencing them. I did a, I did a workshop. I have to go off on a tangent for just a moment with for moms. I think so important. I did a workshop. I used to do a workshop in the early days of my work um, where I would have women reflect on the question, write down all the memories. This is an interesting exercise for all of you. Write down all the memories that you can think of with your mom and how she modeled friendship. So who were your mom's friends? What do you remember them doing? What memories do you have? Did they talk on the phone a lot? Did they she go on girls trips? And and it was amazing as I would have women write the, those questions down, about 60 to 70% of them would be like, 
uh, I'm sure my mom had friends, but I don't, I don't have any memories of that. You know, like nobody could, like 70% of women, grown women could not name their moms doing things or doing activities or name their friends. And, um, and at first I thought, man, we just all had horrible mothers who had no friends. <laughs> and as I thought about it more and, and kept asking questions, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think most of us probably had moms who were trying to get together when we were in school, mm -hmm. um, or trying to do it when we wouldn't notice exact basically, like they wanted it to not inconvenience us. But what they ended up doing was creating a whole generation of women that didn't have friendship modeled to them. And so now they turn around and feel kind of guilty going out with friends and doing stuff and. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of a big believer in letting, letting our kids see it, like letting them say, Hey, you went and saw, you had your, you played with your friends at school today. Now mommy's going out and playing with her friends tonight, you know, and like helping them, helping it be an inconvenience to them where they actually get to see it. So making that time without guilt, I think is crucial. I think I lucked out because my mom, like, she was pretty, like, I knew she had friends because a lot of times her friends had kids and so we'd hang out and they'd go do whatever, but then they'd also, like, go out together and we'd have a babysitter or whatever. And with my kids, often people joke that they don't really know that I have kids besides social media because if adults <laughs> are inviting me over, even if they say I can bring my kids, I'm not going to bring my kids if I don't have to because... I want that time to connect with other adults and not have to be like, where's Cameron? Where's Audrina? What's Carmel doing? Like, why is Lillian flirting with that boy? Like, <laughs> all those things. Like, and that was me yeah. yesterday at a barbecue. And luckily my spouse was with me. And so he, he's the parent that like, you know, like the helicopter, he wants to make sure everything's going okay. And I'm just like, oh, they're fine. If they break a leg, we have insurance. <laughs> okay. But you know, after but that's what you had modeled and yeah. that's my that is to my point Megan is I will tell you the 30% of women who had that modeling are the ones who are like out there not like they're doing friendship well they're just like oh my mom kicked us out of the house like my my dad and all of us kids every May for an entire weekend and had all her friends over for a slumber party and she was just like good luck whatever you guys do this weekend but don't come home until <laughs> Sunday at five and she's like as an adult I remember saying to my mom like can I come now and she's like no this is for my friends you know and like I just and she was like so I had to start my own so now I kick my husband like, but I was like, that's how it's modeled. The ones who are building healthy relationships, and so it's an invitation to all of our, all of the inspired women listening, to even if you didn't have that modeled, to shift that, to make that change now, and to feel less, choose to feel less guilt about prioritizing your friends, and know that you're still giving a gift to your kids. So they'll grow up to be like Megan, where they're just like, I have great friends. I go out. It's not a problem. Like we want you, we want our kids to have the friendships you have. I I love that. Thank you. Yeah, and I I'm like I do do good mom things. Yay, good me. Yay. Um, so you teach three requirements of all friendships. What are those requirements? Yeah, so consistency we kind of hit already. So consistency at the end of the day, if we aren't, consistency means regular time together or interacting at least. Um, at the end of the day, if we don't have that, we don't have um, a friendship. Like we could, you and I can have an awesome chat for an hour here and that does not make us friends. We would have to repeat that over and over and over. Otherwise, it's just a, there's a difference between people we're friendly with and people we become friends with. And the friendship has to be rep repeated in order to that to get developed. The other two requirements are um, vulnerability, which means we have to feel seen, we have to be sharing, we have to be willing to take some little a little bit of risks to have more of us exposed to some people. Um, that doesn't have to be negative. A lot, of, uh, a lot of talk is being given around vulnerability being our shame. Certainly most of us want to, at some point when we're close with somebody, we want to share our insecurities and where we're 
um, hurting. But I think a lot of women, Megan, I'm a really I've noticed that for many of us, it's actually harder for us to celebrate with each other and to share our successes with each other. That feels very vulnerable. And so, I mean, I think that's important too, that we practice uh, cheering with our friends and sharing what we're proud of and where we are being good moms and what we are doing at work that makes us proud. So it doesn't have to be a negative thing, but basically we need to be continuing to share more of ourselves, different topics, that sort of thing. And the third requirement of all healthy relationships um, is satisfaction. It has to be rewarding. It has to have more positive than negative. Um, these are relationships we're choosing. And so we, we know from science that we have to have five, at least five positive um, interactions or, or moments for every one negative. And so under this category, um, things like laughter and um, encouragement and uh, pride and amusement and kindness and empathy and all these things that make us feel good in the relationship have to be present fivefold over the um, over the well she's always late or oh she just talks to our kids on and on and on and so we're willing to put up with those things if we're getting five times the payoff uh, you know oh she's always late but when she gets there she's like showing up she's asking questions she's curious she's like affirming my life like we don't care if she's 15 minutes late if we like love the timer with her if she's 15 minutes late and continues to like rack up those <laughs> rack up the you know the negative side then we're gonna leave saying that wasn't worth it and so um, at the end of the day we choose our friendships based on the few if we end up feeling better about who we are and about our lives for having been with them, that has to be present. So those three things make up the definition of friendship, actually. Any friendship, a friendship by definition, I should say, is um, any relationship between two people that feels satisfying, uh, safe, and where both people feel seen. And those three S's have to be available. That by definition is a friendship. And so in order for it to feel satisfying, there has to be more positivity than negativity. In order for it to feel safe, uh, there has to be consistency because that's how we, our brains start to predict how the other person will respond is the more I'm with you and the more you do something, the more I feel safe knowing that I can predict that you'll respond when I do X, you'll do Y. And um, in order for it to feel, in order for us to feel seen, we have to be willing to share and to reveal and to be vulnerable. So I can pretty much guarantee Megan, um, I talk about this in my book, Friendsmissy, I can guarantee that any relationship in anybody's life that does not feel good is because at least one of these three things is in lack. And we can, um, by kind of being able to evaluate and understand what those three things are, we can pretty much look at any relationship and say, oh, it's because with that friend, we have consistency and we have uh, positivity. It's always fun and we get together all the time, but oh, it's not meaningful because we're not actually sharing. We're not being vulnerable. It's more just a social night. Like, oh, okay. So if I want this friendship to be more meaningful, we need to figure out how to increase our vulnerability. You know, or sometimes we have friends that we are like, every time I see her, I love it. And we always share so deeply, but like, oh, but we only see each other every five months. So we're lacking the consistency. And so we can start kind of seeing which piece is missing and what we could do to improve every friendship in our life. And I love how you point out in your book that not every friend is going to be at that level, like that friend to missy level. You're going to have like, yeah. maybe what did you say? Like two or three that are like the friend to missy yeah. and then the other five, um, you know, aspects that you talk about in friendship. Like you can have people that you're friends and you hang out and you have a good time, but you're not going to invite them to your house and cry about like what's going on with your marriage. Exactly. <laughs> so and I that doesn't make fake friends or not value it just simply means yeah that every we have healthy expectations around what level of relationship we've developed with different people and how do you think that technology has affected our friendships 
It's a fabulous question. There is so much research being done on that. And, um, and it's mixed on many levels. Um, I would say that technology can improve our relationships in many ways. It's giving us a better chance of being consistent with each other. Like I, we get to see what's going on in each other's lives a little bit more in, in some weird way. It actually helps us be more vulnerable. Like we are actually like, if, if I hang out with you all the time, Megan, and you don't bring your kids, it's like through social media that I get to like, see your kids and like, <laughs> see that, you know, like our friendship could be different. Like it could be more work related, but I'm getting to know you, the personal side of you through social media that we wouldn't have otherwise. And so in some ways it's helping, I think where it's not helping is if we are relying on that predominantly um, and if we it's not the kind of place where we're going to make memories with each other. We're not going to build hours in the log bank of our friendship. It's not the place where we're going to like, you know, create that consistency to begin with and um, have fun together and laugh. And like it's it's there's a lot of shared experiences that are not happening. A lot of memories that aren't getting made. It's a lot more um, short text back and forth. We're seeing some studies show that empathy is dropping because with empathy, we're often especially with kids in this new generation, there's some studies coming out that our empathy is developed by mere neurons where we're watching somebody else and can see the impact that our statements have on them with micro expressions. And we're missing that through social media. We're simply, we're more likely to hurt people and not feel the repercussion of their face showing hurt. Um, so yeah, there's a, it's kind of a big subject. I know there's some really big, there's a lot of research being done on that. I would say for most of us, the biggest question is we just need to ask ourselves, is this, is this leading me closer to the connection that I crave? And if your time on Facebook is moving you in that direction, then I am a big fan of it. If at the end of the day, going out for a night with somebody in person, while it might have taken more energy, if that actually moves you closer to building a friendship with somebody that matters in your local area, then that actually would be the better choice than spending two hours browsing everybody's photos. And so I think for each of us, we have to kind of say, what is it that I'm trying to build? What connection would feel meaningful? And is this particular tool, whether it be social media or the telephone or the texting or being in person, um, which method will help me move to create that, um, the connection that I crave? At the end of the day, a researcher can't, they can tell us what pros and cons are, but each of us has to say, is, are my needs being met? Do I feel connected? And if the answer is no, then we need to do something different. Yeah, I agree. And I think it kind of holds people back from having that level of frontimacy. If you don't actually see each other and have those conversations, you can see my Facebook all day long, but that, I mean, we've been friends on Facebook for months, but that doesn't make us, you know, that level of friendship, just because we see that we're not having conversations, like we're not seeing each other and having that energy connection. And, you know, it's the highlight reel, you know, <laughs> so you don't get to see those struggles the day to day and everything like that. So I love social media because I get to connect with lots of amazing people like you, Shasta, that I get to get to know you on a, a level that I wouldn't have if we had met before social media came along. Yeah. But I yeah. do believe that it's it's holding people back from having those frentimacies because they're not actually getting out from behind their computer and, and meeting these people. They're just online. Yeah. And I mean, again, I can use, like I think of the three or four people I'm closest to and I do feel like seeing their posts on social media and all that kind of stuff can help me feel more connected to all their mm -hmm. lives. So it can support, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, yeah, I had a girlfriend just say, okay, I am flying to come see you. She's a mother of two kids. And she was just like, I'm getting on a plane and spending 24 hours with you and then coming home. And she's just like, we just need to like really catch up, you know? And, and I was like, there's nothing that can replace, you know, 
15 hours together. It's like as kids when we were like doing slumber parties and stuff, like all the social media in the world, we could have like texted for five years and not caught up with in the way we were able to do in one day together. You know, I mean, we just as kids and that's where you kind of in your introduction talked about this. We used to, we often said friendships happened so much easier when we were kids. They were just automatic when we were kids. And I have to remind people friendship was never automatic. What was automatic when we were kids was the time together. Mm -hmm. Consistency was automatic. Consistency happened. We did not have to like initiate and schedule school and like call each other to see if you wanted to go to school tomorrow and like plan it five weeks out. And you know, I mean, we just simply had to go to school together. We just simply had to get kicked out of the house and play in the streets together. We had to sleep at a summer camp cabin with somebody else. Like whatever it was, we didn't choose that. We were just forced to spend time with people. And when we spend time with them, we ended up sharing the vulnerability piece. We ended up having fun together, which is the positivity piece. And that's where friendship happens. That's still where friendship happens. So if we're not spending time together, um, we simply can't do those other two things. You can't be vulnerable and you can't have fun together if you're not actually ever interacting. So yeah, that's where the social media piece can break down and not necessarily create the big moments together. It can kind of give you snippets here and there of those things, but you can't really feel held and supported. I don't, I don't think in big ways. No, I agree with you completely. And you know, I usually ask five questions at the end of the podcast, but I'm really, I really love this conversation. So I want to just finish it up with a couple more questions about friendships. Um, because that's, that's where everybody's struggling. That's where women are struggling. And I, I think a lot of it is because we're not getting out there and doing those things. So what are some ways that women could get outside, like outside the computer, away from the, the social media and actually start connecting with women? I know that you have a, lots of resources on that. Yes, I do. And I, but I'll just say initially, the big question is for women to ask themselves, do I actually need to meet people or do I actually know enough people and I just need to get closer to the people I already know? And that's a really big thing because most of us will say, I need to make friends. And we think that means I need to keep meeting people. And the truth of the matter is most of us don't need to keep meeting more people. Most of us need to know how to make better friendships with the people we're already meeting. And so that's a big like take that one to the bank because that is really that. big. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us have created this myth that when we just meet the right, when we find our best friend, we'll just like everything else. So we just keep thinking we're looking for this best friend. And I'm constantly having to remind us, you are not searching for a best friend. You need to develop a friendship, a good, healthy, best friendship. Like some, it's something you develop, not something you discover. Yes, there's people you discover that you have chemistry with or like, but there's a ton of people I've met that I have like an immediate girl crush on. And <laughs> we never... We never became friends because we didn't actually follow up with each other. So just having chemistry doesn't make a friendship either. So we really have to recognize that the three things that make a friendship is time together, positivity, and vulnerability eventually. And so at the end of the day, knowing that uh, most of us don't need to meet people. But if you just moved or something, then that's then your, in, then your information is go network. Otherwise, most of us, Megan, don't need to keep meeting people. We need to do a better job with the people we already know. And a lot of women will be like, yeah, but I don't think I'd like love any of the women I know. And I'm like, that's just because you honestly haven't spent enough time with them and done these three things. I can almost guarantee that these three things um, will make a friendship. In fact, the studies um, show, it was kind of funny, uh, there was a study of police cadets uh, where they were tracking a whole, and this is this uh, same study is like played out in workplaces and schools all across the country every time they research it. But the police cadet academy, they were tracking everybody who, all the students, all the uh, cadets, and just saying who ends up being friends with who. Is it the ones who are fathers end up being the ones with other, you know, other fathers, and the versus the single guys? 
Is it the guys from the South versus, you know, like the Northwest? Is it like those who are Christian? Is it those who are like this ethnic race? And they were like trying to predict who would end up being friends. And they tracked all these cadets through the entire uh, training. And at the end, they were having the hardest time finding the pattern of who became friends with who and at the end of the day one of the interns I think ended up just putting the spreadsheet in alphabetical order and suddenly they saw everybody had become friends with people in alphabetical order and they were like what and that's because they had to sit in that order in classes they sat in alphabetical order we all think there's like this big magic like I need to have 20 commonalities and if you have five kids we need to have five kids in the same age we think all this stuff and it's like BS Megan at the end of the day we become friends with the people that we are consistent with that we're seeing and we end up having positivity and shared experiences with and um, it really is as easy and as hard as that um is that we have to just probably increase the consistency with some of the people we know. That makes total sense because I have a best friend who literally has no kids, has no interest in having kids ever in her entire life, and I have four. Then I have a best friend. She does have kids, but she's not an entrepreneur like me. So, like, you know, we don't have that in common. So there's all this different stuff, that, and it's really just the women that make the time to spend the most time with me that will reach out and say, hey, do you want to grab a drink? Or would you like to come to my birthday party? Or how about we get together? We haven't seen each other a while. Or we'll just like, we'll send a text like at least once a week. I talk to these women where they're just like, hey, how are you doing this week? You know, every friendship that's fallen apart, every friend intimacy I've had that's fallen apart has simply been because we didn't talk enough. You know, I had a, I had a friendship, my best friend for years and years and years she lived in upstate New York. So we only saw each other like a handful of times a year, but we maintained that friendship for the longest time until we just stopped talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, that's, those are great stories to share, Megan, because every single one of us will have an example of somebody that we bonded with that we wouldn't have like on paper said like, oh, that's going to be my new best friend, you know, or, or somebody like they married into our family or we worked with them or like sometimes for some reason the consistency was just kind of automatic for us. We became close to them. It's not people we would have picked. And most of us have had a best friend that we would say, wow, if we met today, and didn't already know and love each other, would I become friends with her? Probably, I probably would say, oh, no, we don't have anything in common. And yet, I, she's one of my closest friends, and I love her. We have those examples, and it's so important for us to keep sharing those because it breaks down the myth that we all hold that there's this, like, twin out there. I, we, I mean, we say it out loud, and we know it's ridiculous, but we walk around dismissing people, thinking they need to have certain things in common with us. And another study showed that... Uh, that kind of crazy, but yeah, that we, they were studying with the predicting, the predicting of bonds and, um, and walking around saying, I can only be friends with other people who are single, or I can only be friends with other moms or like whatever, whatever it is we think is that thing they said is no more of a predictor of your bonding level than if you were walking around saying, I can only be friends with people who have my same name, you know? And I was thinking I would never, but I mean, I can only be friends with Shastas because they're the only people that could really understand what it's like to go through this world with, Sh- you know, I mean, and I would be the loneliest person in a room full of a hundred dogs, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I would never put that out there. And yet all of us have that thing that we think is the thing. Um, and it really doesn't have to be that thing. We're dismissing a lot of potential friends because we believe uh, that we have to have that in common and we don't. All right. Well, we are out of time. So I want just, <laughs> what is one one thing you can leave my audience with about friendships. Like if there's anything you have like this one minute, like what do you want them to know? 
I want them to know that it's worth it and that it actually, the payoff comes more down the road. It's a little bit like exercise, like going to the gym once isn't going to be like, ah, I, I met all my goals. This is amazing. It's, and unfortunately, I don't use, like to use the metaphor of the gym because we're all like, ugh. but it's true. Like mm-hmm. the payoff of frentimacy comes when you actually, it's safe and it's meaningful and it's close. And that's not something you get in the first date, the second date, the third date. You have to keep being with people before it becomes safe, loving, and meaningful experience. And so don't give up. I like It's one of those things that the more you do it, the more reward you're going to get from it. Well, thank you, Shasta, so much for coming on the podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. And thanks for gathering inspired women together and helping inspire them, Megan. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspired Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.